Number six of London Ancient and Modern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two London from the Medical Point of View. Part three The Plague. We now approach the year sixteen sixty five, so notable for the terrible pestilence which afflicted London, and we may well take the opportunity of seeing what was the practice of physicians at this time. The best account of the plague is that written by Dr. Nathaniel Hodges under the title Loimologia. This treatise, originally written in Latin and published by the author in 1672, was translated by Dr. John Quincy in 1720. From this valuable work we gain some insight into the moral and physical conditions of the population and of other causes which tended to increase the virulence of the epidemic it was at the close of the year sixteen sixty four that cases of plague a disease which had previously committed extensive ravages in london began to occur and the fears of the inhabitants were fomented by astrologers and others who tormented the ignorant with prophecies as to the evils which would occur from the conjunction of saturn and jupiter in sagittarius and the like again the action of the magistrates who ordered that infected houses should be marked with a red cross and the legend lord have mercy upon us and who further set a guard upon such houses to prevent either ingress or egress was probably most mischievous as tending to spread the infection amongst all the inhabitants of a house and to keep it alive within the confined area of the city Hodges truly remarks that the proper course would have been to immediately remove the infected to proper lodgings provided without the walls. He continues, but what greatly contributed to the loss of people thus shut up was the wicked practice of nurses, for they are not to be mentioned but in the most bitter terms. These wretches, out of greediness to plunder the dead, would strangle their patients and charge it to the distemper in their throats others would secretly convey the pestilential taint from sores of the infected to those who were well and so forth if we are to receive the statement seriously and hodges is a temperate writer it throws considerable light on the moral condition of the lower orders the first symptom of the plague appears to have been as a rule a violent shivering or rigor lasting from half an hour to four or five hours this was followed or accompanied by vomiting upon this delirium quickly supervened and if not restrained the infected would run wildly about the streets vertigo headache and coma were also common the signs of fever were strongly marked such as extreme inquietude a most intense heat outwardly attended by unquenchable thirst within dryness blackness of the tongue intolerable heat of the prescordia and all other usual concomitants of a fever's accession in many cases there seemed to have been well-marked exacerbations and remissions but this was not constantly observed insomnia was occasionally troublesome and palpitation of the heart appears to have been strongly marked sweating was a common feature and seems often to have been critical the plague subsiding at once by crisis pustules upon the skin varying in size from a pea to a nutmeg 
and called blains as well as buboes affecting the lymphatic glands were among the ordinary symptoms further in addition to these carbuncles seem to have been very usual and also a petechial eruption and further hodges describes in addition to the foregoing pustules buboes carbuncles and petechiae certain prominent spots with pyramidal heads which were called plague tokens by the vulgar the treatment adopted was very far from being of the so-called expectant form which is now so much followed in the management of patients suffering from infective disorders they were put to bed between the blankets and the patient was addressed by his physician with cheerfulness hodges seems to have discouraged phlebotomy but he states that many let blood largely if the patient did not vomit he was given an emetic and this in many cases was followed by an expulsive cathartic in all cases were strong diaphoretics administered and sweating was encouraged to the utmost a marvellous assortment of drugs was poured into the patient those used by hodges were mostly fresh indigenous herbs and he mentions angelica rue sage veronica centauri scabious pimpernel marigold scorzonera ivy berries balm valerian garlic gentian elderberries juniper berries and dozens of others but he speaks scornfully of the oriental bezoar powdered unicorn's horn and powder of toads which many thought very efficacious to all who sweat he says change of clothes is to be denied for the patient takes harm by clean coverings not so much from any prejudicial quality of the soap abounding in them as from a dampness which is inseparable from them and the approach of air which is unavoidable in the shifting both of which will check the sweating sleep was industriously kept off although sometimes through sheer weariness the patient would drop into a doze the diet given was light and generous eggs strong broths and good wines but of the usefulness of gold boiled in the broths hodges has nothing to say the patient was most rigidly kept in his bed and those who were delirious were tied in them during the sweats the patients were forcibly kept awake and if later in the disease a little sleep was allowed they were roused every four hours to take medicine scents were used in the room and odorous gum rosins such as styrax were burnt upon live coals blisters were applied to several parts such as the nape of the neck and the insides of the arms and thighs these blister plasters were made of pitch galbanum wax cantharides yeast euphorbium and vinegar of quills worked into a mass the parts thus blistered were not suffered to heal till the malignity of the disease was spent besides epispastics it is not lost labour to apply proper things to the feet i commonly used a plaster made of the compound betony plaster adding to it some euphorbium saffron and london treacle and i found this to do more good than cataplasms which some however liked better to use and were made of bryony root steeped in vinegar the flesh of pickled herrings black soap rue scordium and arum with a sufficient quantity of vinegar 
sometimes also pigeons were applied to the feet similar applications were also made to the wrists the buboes were treated with cataplasms and discutients and were often opened by the surgeon and subsequently washed with a lixivivium of ashes scordium betony buglos sanical and so forth in which also was dissolved some london treacle carbuncles were treated in a similar way but when the escar did not fall off the actual cautery was liberally applied in order to prevent the necessity of using a hot iron it was suggested that sometimes the pestilential venom is to be drawn out by cupping or scarification or epispastics sometimes also for the same purpose is applied the bare rump of a fowl repeated until these creatures appear not to be hurt by it for this natural warmth soothes the vital heat of the part it is applied to and entices away the morbific venom through the pores pigeons used alive and warm sheep's lights have likewise been observed thus to assuage the acrimony of this pestilential virulence hodges is by no means silent on the important subject of prevention and he justly says when the nature and peculiar qualities of this disease are known and reported by physicians such laws should be provided as might best conduce to prevent its spreading if not to its utter extirpation the punishment of those who frighten the populace by prophecies and the like the timely separation of the sick from the well house-to-house -house visitation which was actually carried out the disinfection of the air by fumigations the daily cleansing of streets sinks and canals because stench and nastiness are justly reckoned the entertainers of infection the burning of pastilles the killing of dogs cats and other domestic brutes which carry the infection from place to place and great attention to personal health are among the measures which he advocates he has no belief in the benefit to be derived from taking excrement and urine which were given as antidotes by some old nurses but on the other hand he had implicit faith in liberal potations of sack middle-aged neat fine bright racy and of a walnut flavour with regard to the use of tobacco he says i must confess myself at uncertainties about it though as to myself i am its professed enemy and was accustomed to supply its place as an antidote with sack he did not believe in amulets which were then much in vogue some being alleged to have a diffusive magnetic value others drawing the poison out of the body as amber attracts straws some serving to invigorate nature walnut shells filled with mercury arsenic mixed with wax and a variety of other drugs and dried toads seem to have been the amulets most generally worn among the physicians who stayed in london to minister to the sick hodges mentions dr glisson regius professor at cambridge dr nathan paget dr wharton dr berwick dr brooks and many others and he further states that of these eight or nine died hodges however survived and he says i think it not amiss to recite the means which i used to preserve myself from the infection during the continual course of my business among the sick as soon as i rose in the morning early i took the quantity of a nutmeg of the antipestilential electuary 
then after the dispatch of private concerns in my family i entered into a large room where crowds of citizens used to be in waiting for me and there i commonly spent two or three hours as in an hospital examining the several conditions and circumstances of all who came thither some of which had ulcers yet uncured and others to be advised under the first symptoms of seizure all which i endeavoured to dispatch with all possible care to their various exigencies as soon as this crowd could be discharged i judged it not proper to go abroad fasting and therefore got my breakfast after which till dinner-time i visited the sick at their houses after some hours visiting in this manner i returned home before dinner i always drank a glass of sack to warm the stomach refresh the spirits and dissipate any beginning lodgment of the infection i chose meats for my table that yielded an easy and generous nourishment roasted before boiled and pickles not only suitable to the meats but the nature of the distemper and indeed in this melancholy time the city greatly abounded with variety of all good things of that nature i seldom likewise rose from dinner without drinking more wine after this i had always many persons come for advice and as soon as i could dispatch them i again visited till eight or nine at night and then concluded the evening by drinking to cheerfulness of my old favourite liquor which encouraged sleep and an easy breathing through the pores all night but if in the daytime i found the least approaches of the infection upon me as giddiness loathing at stomach and faintness i immediately had recourse to a glass of this wine which easily drove these beginning disorders away by transpiration yet in the whole course of the infection i found myself ill but twice but was soon again cleared of its approaches by these means and the help of such antidotes as i kept always by me it should be mentioned that during the infection dr hodges wore an issue as a preventive measure and he says whenever i was most beset with pestilential fumes i could then immediately perceive a shooting pain in my issue and had a great deal of ill-conditioned matter discharged therefrom and this i always looked upon as a sure warning to have timely recourse to alexipharmix the facts given by dr monk concerning hodges are the following nathaniel hodges son of the vicar of kensington was born in sixteen twenty nine educated at westminster cambridge and oxford and appears to have been a parliamentarian m d sixteen fifty nine f r c p sixteen seventy two censor sixteen eighty two harveyan orator sixteen eighty three during the latter part of his life he received a pension from the city on account of his services during the plague he fell into debt and died at ludgate prison in sixteen eighty eight there is a tablet to his memory in st stephen's walbrook let us not be hard on this brave man he did his duty nobly true he was fond of sack and got into debt perhaps had his nature been less generous and had he been less full of the milk of human kindness he might have amassed a large fortune he is a noble exception to chaucer's doctrine that golden physic is a cordial and it would ill become us to sit in judgment 
on one who in an important respect affords us an example of noble conduct the year sixteen sixty five and sixteen sixty six were eventful ones for the college of physicians at that time the president was sir edward alston who had managed to repair the financial ruin caused by the civil wars by the expedient of admitting honorary fellows and making them pay for the honour it was in this year that charles the second attended one of the anatomy lectures and knighted the lecturer sir george ent at its termination misfortunes however were in store and we can hardly say they were undeserved when the plague appeared the president and most of the fellows fled from town and during their absence the treasure-chest of the college was emptied by thieves after the plague came the great fire and in it the college at amen corner was destroyed when the college was rebuilt a new site not far from the old one was chosen this was in warwick lane newgate street on a piece of ground purchased from mr hollyer a surgeon for one thousand two hundred pounds the new college was designed by wren it was in the form of a quadrangle with a botanical garden behind it running down to the city walls the entrance was through a fine gate and over this sir christopher wren built a magnificent theatre forty feet in diameter with an octagonal domed roof this theatre was said to be a model of what a theatre should be there were in addition fine rooms for transacting the college business and a good library only about a hundred and forty books had been saved from the fire but the new college was soon furnished with books by the library of the marquis of dorchester which that nobleman bequeathed to it he appears to have been a learned and a somewhat eccentric man who studied all manner of learning both divine and human he became a fellow of the college in sixteen fifty eight and shortly before had been made a bencher of gray's inn it is impossible not to regret the fine old college with its spacious courtyard and physic garden and its historic associations but it would seem as if no purely educational establishment can flourish in the city of london the royal society the college of physicians and the college of surgeons have all moved away and gresham college alone is left as if to show the impossibility of flourishing in the richest city of the day much as one may regret the old college it is probable that sir henry halford did right in advising in eighteen twenty four a move to pall notwithstanding that the present house is much smaller than the old one and by no means remarkable for the convenience of its arrangement of the london physicians of the seventeenth century none is better known than thomas sydenham he was born in sixteen twenty four joined the parliamentary army in sixteen forty three and became m b oxon in sixteen forty eight in what his medical education consisted is not clear it is very doubtful if he was ever at montpellier or any foreign school he was a great friend of john locke he came to london in sixteen sixty and was a licentiate of the college of physicians in sixteen sixty three like the rest of the world he ran away from the plague but as he lived in westminster he did not probably suffer from the fire he died in sixteen eighty nine 
his medical observations concerning the history and cure of acute diseases was published in sixteen sixty six and was dedicated to robert boyle in the preface of this work he strongly advocates an attempt at a scientific classification of disease by a careful comparison of the phenomena observed in different cases accurate diagnosis was the necessary preliminary to finding a reliable methodus medendi his own descriptions of disease are excellent perhaps his account of the gout from which he suffered is more often quoted than any other he was never a fellow of the college of physicians there is no evidence that he ever applied to be made a fellow expressions are frequent in his writings which seem to show that he was not on the best of terms with some of his contemporaries sydenham was undoubtedly a man who could think for himself and perhaps his chief merit lies in the fact that he appreciated much of the medical writing of his time at its true value it is recorded of him by dr johnson that when sir richard blackmore first engaged in the study of physic he inquired of dr sydenham what authors he should read and was directed by dr sydenham to don quixote which said he is a very good book i read it still in this answer of sydenham's we perhaps get a clue to his attitude towards the profession he was one of the first to use peruvian bark in the treatment of ague and this must have done much to advance his practice at a time when london was scourged by malarious fever one of my objects is to bring before you personal facts with regard to some of our professional ancestors and we get a good idea of sydenham in that chapter of his scheduula monitoria in which he details his own sufferings it was in sixteen sixty that he first suffered from the gout and shortly afterwards symptoms of renal calculus developed and in sixteen seventy six he began to suffer from hematuria this became he says afterwards habitual as often as i either went along a way on foot or drove in a carriage no matter how slowly over the paved streets on an unpaved road however i might drive as far as i chose and no such harm would occur he tried various remedies for this trouble without success i therefore made up my mind to try no further and only guarded against the affection by avoiding as much as i could all motion of the body when his urine became bloody he was bled and he took frequent doses of mana dissolved in whey as a laxative and sixteen drops of laudanum in small beer at bedtime as a hypnotic as to the regimen he observed he says on getting out of bed i drink a dish or two of tea and ride in my coach till noon when i return home and moderately refresh myself for moderation is well in all with some sort of easily digestible meat that i like immediately after dinner i drink rather more than a quarter of a pint of canary wine to promote the concoction of the food in the stomach and to drive away the gout from the bowels after dinner i ride in my coach again and unless prevented by business am driven out for two or three miles in the country for a change of air a draught of thin small beer serves for supper and i repeat this even after i have gone to bed and am about to compose myself to sleep i hope by this julep to cool and dilute the hot and acrid juices lodged in the kidneys 
whereby the stone is occasioned. He goes on to state that he prefers the hopped small beer, and to prevent bloody urine I take care as often as I drive any distance over the stones to drink a free draught of this small beer upon getting into my coach, and also, if I am out long before my return, a precaution which has always been sufficient. Occasionally he suffered from what may be called a gastric crisis, and in this case I drench myself with more than a gallon of posset, or else of this small beer, and as soon as I have got rid of the hole by vomiting, take a small draught of canary wine with eighteen drops of the liquid laudanum, and going to bed, compose myself to sleep. By this method I have escaped imminent death more than once." in an attack of nephritic colic occurring in a patient of sanguine temperament sydenham took ten ounces of blood from the arm on the same side with the kidney affected after this a gallon of posset drink wherein two ounces of marshmallow roots have been boiled must be taken without loss of time followed by the injection of the following enema marshmallow roots and lily roots of each one ounce mallow leaves pellitory bear's breech and chamomile flowers of each a handful linseed and fenugreek of each half an ounce water in sufficient quantity boil down to half a pint strain dissolve in the clear liquor two ounces each of kitchen sugar and syrup of marshmallow mix and make into a clyster after the patient has vomited and been purged a full dose of twenty drops of liquid laudanum is to be given or else fifteen or sixteen grains of matthew's pills sydenham lived in pell-mell and cunningham in his handbook of london has the following anecdote which is of interest in connection with his small beer and canary mr fox told mr rogers that sydenham was sitting at his window looking on the mall with his pipe in his mouth and a silver tankard before him when a fellow made a snatch at the tankard and ran off with it nor was he overtaken says fox before he got among the bushes in bond street and there they lost him sydenham lived in pall mall from sixteen sixty four to sixteen eighty nine and was buried in st james church a near neighbour of his was madame eleanor gwynne over whose garden wall king charles the second used often to look as he walked in the mall in st james park sydenham i have said was a licentiate of the college of physicians and was never a fellow in chamberlain's present state of england for sixteen eighty two i find a list of the fellows candidates honorary fellows and licentiates of the college of physicians the name of thomas sydenham does not occur in this list although it contains the name of his son dr william sydenham in sixteen eighty four dr hans sloane a young physician afterwards to be very famous took up his abode with sydenham it was not till after sydenham's death that his reputation reached the exalted position in which it has been held in the lives of many of the early physicians are interesting facts which throw considerable light on the progress of medicine both as a branch of knowledge and a profession but the exigencies of time and space compel me to be brief samuel collins who was president of the college in sixteen ninety five was one of the earliest comparative anatomists and wrote a work entitled a system of anatomy treating of the body of man beasts birds fishes insects and plants 
i am not acquainted with the work but the title seems to indicate that he had enlarged views on the question of biology nehemiah grew who was secretary to the royal society in sixteen seventy seven and an honorary fellow of the college in sixteen eighty two and possibly earlier is said to have been the first who saw the analogy between animals and plants and to establish the fact of sex in plants in medicine he introduced epsom salts which he obtained by evaporating epsom water so that we owe him a great debt and undoubtedly he is one of the greatest men who has been connected with the college sir edmund king was surgeon to charles the second and was made an honorary f r c p by command of his majesty charles the second being seized with apoplexy on february second sixteen eighty four king promptly bled his majesty without consultation his act was subsequently approved by his colleagues and he was ordered a thousand pounds by the privy council which was never paid francis bernard was apothecary to st bartholomew's hospital and when the staff of that institution ran away from the plague bernard stopped at his post and ministered to the wants of the patients for this he was rewarded by being made assistant physician to the hospital and became honorary f r c p in sixteen eighty he died in sixteen ninety seven and is buried in st botolph's aldersgate end of number six